0: this morning we're going to study about the end time Elijah the apocalyptic Elijah but before we do we do want to ask for the Lord's presence and so I invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray father in heaven thank you for giving us life this day thank you for the privilege of living in a place where we can worship you according to the dictates of our conscience we realize that these days are going to come to an end soon help us Lord to take advantage of this time of relative peace we ask that as we study about the end time Elijah that you have called to announce to the world that Jesus is coming soon and the need to prepare that your Holy Spirit will be with us that we might be able to understand what we're going to study not only understand it intellectually but apply it to our daily lives instill it in our hearts. We thank you for the privilege of coming before your throne boldly. And we do so not because we have any merit, but because we come boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. When should we expect the end time Elijah to appear? I'd like to begin by reading from Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. Here we find a prophecy that God will send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. It says there, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse." This text tells us that God is going to send Elijah immediately before the great and terrible or dreadful day of the Lord. So we need to ask, when is the dreadful day of the Lord? We don't have to guess. Because in the immediately preceding verses we are told when the great and terrible day of the Lord is let's read verses 1 to 3 in Malachi chapter 4 it says therefore behold the day is coming burning like an oven and all the proud yes all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up says the Lord of hosts that will leave neither root nor branch but to you who fear my name the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. So the question is, when is the great and dreadful day of the Lord? It's referring to the coming of Christ. And so are we to expect another Elijah immediately before Jesus comes? According to the book of Malachi, yes. This prophecy was partially fulfilled, as we studied last night, in John the Baptist. But the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord did not come in the days of John the Baptist. And so we are to expect another Elijah who will fully fulfill this prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. Now let's take a look at some principles that we need to take into account in order to understand the end time Elijah. When will this Elijah appear? Immediately before the second coming of Christ according to what we've studied. Where would we expect in the Bible to find a description of this Elijah? Well, I think that the book of Revelation would be a good place to go because it's the last book of the Bible and it describes the end time. So we would expect to find this Elijah in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Now we would expect also in the last book to find not only Elijah and his message, but also the trilogy of enemies that Elijah had all throughout the course of history, beginning with the historical Elijah, continuing with the prophetic Elijah, and the Elijah of the Middle Ages. Now the question is, how will this Elijah come, and how will his enemies come? Will they be literal individuals like in the Old Testament story and the New Testament story? Absolutely not. There's a governing principle that we need to take in mind. And that is that in the Old Testament you're dealing with literal Elijah because you are dealing with literal Israel. His enemy was a literal harlot who committed literal fornication with a literal king who had literal false prophets who promoted the literal worship of the literal sun god Baal but at the end of time the geographical personal and ethnic limitations from the Old Testament story are removed and the persons in the Old Testament story become symbolic of spiritual worldwide systems in other words Elijah Israel Jezebel Ahab, Baal, the false prophets are not individuals in the end time but represent global systems. And so, what was local and literal becomes spiritual and global or worldwide. Are you understanding the principle? this is a vital principle in the study of Bible prophecy and those who ignore it fall into all sorts of mistakes in their interpretation of Bible prophecy so what we want to do first is see if we can find the three enemies of Elijah before we talk about Elijah and his message go with me to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 19 we're gonna be mostly in Revelation in our study today Revelation chapter 16 and verse 19 It speaks here about the great city, Babylon, and we're told something very interesting about Babylon. It says, Now the great city was divided into, how many? Into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and the great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. How many parts does Babylon have? Babylon has three parts. And so you say, Pastor Bohr, what are the three parts of Babylon? Well, we don't have to guess. Because just a few verses before this one that we just read, in verse 13, Revelation 16, verse 13, we're told what that trilogy is. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And so here we have the three divisions of end time Babylon. The trilogy that constitute the enemies of the end time Elijah. Now the question is, who are the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet? Well in order to understand we have to go earlier in Revelation where these three powers are introduced. And they are introduced in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. So we have to go back to these chapters to understand who these enemies are. Let's talk first of all about the dragon. What does the dragon represent? Go with me to Revelation chapter 12 and let's read specifically verse 3. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3. It says here, And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who is this child that was going to be born? The child is none less than Jesus Christ. And we're told that the dragon stood next to the woman to devour the child. Now the question is, who was it that stood next to the woman to devour the child when the child was born? It was the devil. But it was not the devil in person, it was the devil's through the civil power of Rome. In fact, go with me to Matthew chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17 where we find how Satan worked through Rome, through the civil power of Rome, to try and slay Jesus Christ. It says there in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men and so we find that the dragon although it primarily represents Satan it represents the civil powers that Satan works through to accomplish his purpose let me give you another biblical example Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 3. And I'm reading from the King James Version because I think that it is a more accurate translation. Exodus, I mean, Ezekiel chapter 29 and verse 3 speaks about Pharaoh who is mentioned in the book of Exodus. And I want you to notice what Pharaoh, the civil leader of Egypt, is called. Ezekiel 29 verse 3 says, Speak and say, thus saith the Lord God. Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt the great what monster. well some versions say the great monster what does the King James version say it says the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers which hath said my river is mine own and I have made it for myself so who is the dragon Pharaoh and what is his position he is king now I know that traditionally we believe that the dragon represents spiritualism but you know we we need to look at it carefully because really the threefold alliance all three of them are dominated by spiritualism because the three evil spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet Ellen White clearly identifies what the dragon represents in Testimonies to Ministers page 39 she says this Kings And rulers and governors, those are civil powers, right? Kings and rulers and governors have placed upon themselves the brand of Antichrist and are represented as the dragon who goes to make war with the saints, with those who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus. So, what is represented specifically by the dragon, according to testimonies to ministers, and also what we've noticed in Revelation chapter 12 and Ezekiel 29? Kings, rulers, and what? Kings, rulers, and governors. Now, let me pursue this from another angle. Go with me to Revelation chapter 19 and verses 19 through 21. Revelation 19, verses 19 through 21. I want you to notice that even though Revelation 12 and 13 presents the trilogy as the dragon, the beast, and the false prophets, uh, Revelation chapter 19 presents it somewhat differently. Notice uh, what we find beginning in verse 19. And I saw the beast, there's one, and the kings of the earth, Two and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the what? The false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. What are the three powers that are mentioned here in Revelation 19? The kings, the beast, and who? And the false prophet. So what does a dragon represent? The dragon represents the kings of the earth. Of course, in the very next chapter, you have the dragon behind the dragon. Because an angel descends from heaven and binds the dragon to the earth. The one who is behind the kings of the earth. The one who is behind the civil powers of the world. So we know that the dragon represents the kings of the earth. Let me ask you. Do you think the kings of the earth are going to be somewhat wimpish at the end of time? Just like Ahab was? Just like Herod was? just like the kings during the middle ages were? absolutely they will be manipulated by the beast and they will be manipulated by the false prophet now let's turn to talk about the identity of the beast we know that the dragon represents the kings of the earth what does the beast represent? go with me to Revelation chapter 13 And verses 1 and 2. This is speaking about the Roman Catholic papacy during the 1260 years. And you'll notice here that it says in Revelation 13 verses 1 and 2, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And now notice the dragon which in Revelation chapter 12 represents the civil power of Rome because Rome was the dragon that tried to kill the child. It says the dragon which is Satan working through Rome gave the beast his what? His power, his throne and great authority. And let me ask you how long did the beast rule after the dragon gave him his power? Time, times, and dividing up time. Three and a half years, just like in the days of whom? Just like in the days of Elijah. In other words, the beast represents the same thing as Jezebel. The beast represents the power that uses the kings of the earth to accomplish its purpose. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. In Revelation chapter 13, this power is called the beast. But in Revelation chapter 17, a different name is given to this power. In Revelation 13, the beast rules for time, times, dividing of time, 1260 years during the Middle Ages. But in the end time, which is the picture of Revelation chapter 17, a different symbol is used. In Revelation 17, the beast is called the harlot who fornicates with the kings of the earth are you catching the picture the beast uses the kings of the earth during the 1260 years the harlot in the end time influences the kings of the earth by committing fornication with them is that true of what happened with Elijah in the Old Testament yes is it true of the New Testament Elijah is there a harlot yes is it true of the church of the Middle Ages absolutely And so, the beast represents the Roman Catholic papacy. Go with me to Revelation chapter 17 and verses 1 and 5 so that you see the final fulfillment of who is represented by the beast. It says there in Revelation 17 verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of whom? Of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And then verse 5 says, And on her head a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the great, the what? The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she's called the mother and she's called the harlot. What would be her specific proper name? Even though it's not used in Revelation 17, her name would be what? Jezebel. Exactly, Jezebel. The beast is the same as Jezebel now you notice that she sits on many waters did Jezebel have God's people under control under deception in the Old Testament? yes but notice that this now is universalized not only is it Israel her dominion is global it says in verse uh, uh, chapter 17 and verse 15 what sitting on the waters means it says there, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are what? are peoples, multitudes nations and tongues is this end time Jezebel a literal person? no it is a global apostate religious system a woman in prophecy represents a church An apostate woman or a harlot woman represents an apostate church. She sits on many waters, which means that she controls the nations, peoples, multitudes, and tongues. She is a worldwide system. Let me ask you, does she have a track record of killing those who don't agree with her? Absolutely. Let's read two texts. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 6, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 6, the same character as Jezebel, folks. Revelation 17 verse 6 says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement and then Revelation 18 and verse 24 repeats the same thought all over again it says and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth so you had this relationship the harlot uses the kings whom she fornicates with to slay the saints of the Most High, just like the beast did during the 1260 years. She persecuted the saints of the Most High and tried to destroy them. But we have a third power that's mentioned here in the book of Revelation. And that is the false prophet. That false prophet is found in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. You see in chapter 13 of Revelation we have two beasts. The first beast is the papacy that rules 1260 years and has the same characteristics as Jezebel had. But we notice that from this system were born also children. They are called in Revelation 13 the false prophet. Notice Revelation 13 and verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a what? and spoke like a dragon whose will does the false prophet do? the false prophet does the will of the beast you say how do we know that? because the rest of Revelation 13 11 through 18 says that this beast that rises from the earth it leads everyone to worship the first beast it raises up an image to and in favor of the first beast. It imposes the mark of the first beast. And it does everything in the presence of the first beast. In other words, this second beast does everything to help the first beast, who uses the kings of the earth to accomplish its purposes. Does this sound similar to what happened in the days of Elijah? the false prophets taking orders from Jezebel who influenced and used the king to accomplish her purposes. Now in Revelation 17 this third uh, group of individuals is not called the false prophet. A different name is given in Revelation 17 to this third enemy of Elijah. You see in Revelation chapter 13 this trilogy is called the Dragon the beast, and the false prophet. In Revelation chapter 17 it's the kings, the harlot, and the harlot's daughters. Did Jezebel have false prophets? Yes. Let me ask you, is there a daughter involved in the story of the New Testament Elijah? Absolutely. Now notice Revelation chapter 17 and verse 5 speaking about the harlot which is the same as the beast It says, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the what? And of the abominations of the earth. Have you ever known a mother who doesn't have children? (laughs) I've known mothers who don't have, I mean women who don't have children, but I've never known a mother who does not have children. In other words, the harlot has daughters that do her bidding just like Salome did the bidding of Herodias. And so you have this trilogy. You have the kings of the earth dominated by the harlot and the daughters helping the mother in advancing her agenda. Now it's interesting to notice what Ellen White has to say in Great Controversy 382 and 383 she says Babylon is said to be the mother of harlots by her daughters must be symbolized churches that cling to her doctrines and traditions and follow her example of sacrificing the truth and the approval of God in order to form an unlawful alliance with the world the message of Revelation 14 announcing the fall of Babylon must apply to religious bodies that were once pure and have become corrupt Is that true of Israel in the Old Testament? Is the message of Elijah to a people who have gone astray, to to people who claim to serve God? Absolutely. Ellen White is absolutely correct. So she says the message of Revelation 14, announcing the fall of Babylon, must apply to religious bodies that were once pure and have become corrupt. Since this message follows the warning of the judgment, it must be given in the last days. Therefore, it cannot refer to the Roman church alone, for that church has been fall- in a fallen condition for many centuries. In our first presentation, I read you a couple of statements from John XXIII, who was the uh, pope during Vatican Council II, and Paul Sixth, where they referred to the Protestant churches as their children, and requesting that their children come back to the mother, to the mother church. Interesting, interesting terminology. Now let me ask you, does this harlot give wine to the nations? Do you know what the wine represents in scripture? Wine represents false doctrines. It represents false teachings. And when the false teachings are given it makes people drunk. They can't think straight. And therefore they're deceived. We're told in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8 And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We're also told in Revelation that this harlot as well as her daughters are involved in the occult. It says in Revelation 18 verse 23... The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, speaking about Babylon, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. Now listen to this. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. You know, there's this movement that has taken root in Protestantism and in many Adventist churches as well. It's called contemplative prayer you know this is a refined type of spiritualism see the devil knows that Adventists are not going to believe very easily that their dead mother would appear to them because because Adventists know that the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and so, so the devil says I can't approach it that way what I need to do is lead them to believe that they need to experience the silence they need to empty their minds of all thought so that they can experience quietness and peace and then they can hear God's voice. The problem is when your mind is empty you might hear another voice. And Do you know where contemplative prayer and other spiritualistic uh, things come from? Actually the individual who popularized this and brought it in was Saint Ignatius Loyola the founder of the Jesuit order with his spiritual exercises. And most of those founders who established this this method of of, uh, spiritual formation and contemplative prayer are Roman Catholic priests and certain Protestant leaders have embraced this uh, method of prayer. God does not want us to empty our minds. God wants us to fill our minds with Scripture. And so, folks, we have this trilogy in the book of Revelation. We have the dragon, which represents the kings of the earth. We have the beast, which is the same as the harlot, which represents the apostate Roman church. And we have the false prophet, which is the same as the daughters, which represents the Protestant denominations that were born from the papacy that have embraced many of her teachings and doctrines such as the idea of the immortality of the soul, an eternally burning hell, the idea that Sunday is the day that we're supposed to keep. All of these things have been imbibed by Protestantism from the mother, from the papacy. Now let's talk about the mission and message of the end time Elijah in the light of what we've talked about regarding the three enemies. Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 once again says behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Let me ask you to whom does this message of Elijah go at the end of time? Is it primarily to the secular unchurched atheistic people of the world? No. This message has always been given to an apostate church. Elijah gave it to an apostate church. In the New Testament Elijah John the Baptist gave it to an apostate church. During the 1260 years the message was given to the apostate church. Of course at the end time it's not given to the apostate church. Is it? Of course it is you cannot suddenly say that the end time message is for the secular people in the world no God is calling his people back notice Revelation chapter 18 verse 4 where where God speaks to his people and notice Babylon is full of God's people it says and I heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her and then what does it say my people who is the message given to God's people where in Babylon and Babylon has three parts as we've studied so God says come out of her my people yes you lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues is it the role of the end time Elijah to restore the true gospel of Jesus Christ do you know where the Elijah message is found in Revelation chapter 14 verses 6 through 12 that is the reason for the existence of the Seventh-day Adventist Church If we do not preach the three angels' message to the church and to the world, we have no reason to exist. Because this is the unique, special message that God has given to the Seventh-day Adventist church for this particular time in human history. And it's God's last message to the world. Because as soon as the third angel proclaims his message, Jesus is seen seated in a cloud with a sickle in his hand the three angels message mature the world either on God's side or on Satan's side because people reject the message notice that the end time Elijah will restore the everlasting gospel Revelation 14 verse 6 then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having what the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation tribe tongue and people will the end time Elijah restore true worship to the Creator yes did Elijah do that absolutely verse 7 continues saying saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and what? and the springs of water the end time message brings the attention people back to the creator must the Sabbath be involved? Why do we worship the Creator? Well, because He made us. And did God give us a sign that He's the Creator? Absolutely. The sign is the Sabbath. You can't separate worship from the Sabbath. That's why Isaiah 66 tells us in verses 22 and 23 that when everything is restored, all flesh shall come to worship the Lord from Sabbath to Sabbath. And we're told in Psalm 95 and verse 6, Come, let us worship, let us bow down before the Lord, our Maker. And so the end-time people of God, the end-time Elijah, will attract attention to the true Creator, will attract attention to God's Holy Sabbath. Incidentally, do you know where the Christian church got the observance of the Sunday from? They got it from the paganism of the Roman Empire in the days of Constantine the Great. The only difference between the Old Testament and the end of time is that in the Old Testament people were worshipping the literal son whereas at the end of time people will be worshiping on the day of the sun which came in from paganism because pagans worship the sun and some people say pastor it's not the same thing to worship the sun as it is to worship on the day of the sun and I sustain that it is. Let me explain why. Let me ask you who created the sun? God. Did he create it for worship? No. So what happens if you make it an item of worship. What is that called? Idolatry. Let me ask you, who created the first day of the week? God. Did He create it for worship? No. It's a work day. It's a secular day. So what happens if you make it a day of worship? What is that? It's idolatry. It doesn't matter if it's an object or a day. Anything that man makes for worship that God has not established for worship is what? is idolatry. Do you remember that in the days of Elijah the people were claiming to serve God but they were also serving Baal the sun God? And Elijah had to say why do you limp between two opinions? The Christian world claims to serve the true God but they're keeping the day that came in from paganism the day of the sun that came into the Christian church in other words they're keeping a day that has seeped in paganism a day that was established by human tradition for worship which God did not establish for worship the end time remnant will attract attention to the Creator and His genuine day of worship which exalts the Lord God. Will God's end time people exalt the commandments of God just like Elijah did Revelation chapter 14 verse 12. You don't even have to look this one up. It says here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who what? Who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Are you seeing that all of the elements of the Elijah message of the Old Testament are present in Revelation chapter 14? And then of course I want you to notice that God's people will also rebuke the fornication. Did Elijah rebuke the fornication of the king with Jezebel? Did John the Baptist do the same? Did they gain the wrath because of that? Absolutely. Revelation 14 verse 8 is the second angel's message. It says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her what? Of her fornication. And who does the harlot fornicate with? She fornicates with the kings. She's involved with the political powers of the world, just like in the days of Elijah. Notice Revelation chapter 17 in verses 1 and 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now notice this. With whom the kings of the earth committed what? Fornication. In the Old Testament it was one king. In the days of John the Baptist it was one king. At the end of time we have the world's kings. The kings of the earth and the whole world. In other words, the message becomes universal and so it says in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Let me ask you is the message of the end time Elijah a message that will divide the world into two groups? It's a judgment message. Those who accept the message will receive the seal of God and those who reject the message will receive the mark of the beast did the message of Elijah on on Mount Carmel divide those who were listening into two clear groups? absolutely it was a judgment our message now you look at the world today you say wow the three angels message has not caused a very big impact in the world we're just winning a trickling of people And many times we win them and they never even know about the three angels' message. But that's going to change. You see, the message of Elijah, for a long time, and even until the moment that he got to Mount Carmel, the people answered him not a word. People remained neutral. But then the fire came from heaven. Is there fire coming from heaven? Absolutely. Notice Revelation chapter 18. Here we have the global Mount Carmel when the fire fell from heaven and joined the loud cry of Elijah and the people were convicted. It says in Revelation 18 verses 1 through 6, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illumined with His glory. Notice in the Old Testament Mount Carmel and the surrounding regions were illuminated. But here it says the whole earth is illuminated with His glory and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying Babylon the great, has fallen is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons a prison of every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury and then God says because Babylon has fallen this is a message for the world under the loud cry the power of the latter reign." God says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And folks, when this happens, when God's people are totally committed to this message, they're totally committed to the Lord and we're not concerned about our retirement, about saving for a rainy day, and all these things, when we commit everything we are, and everything we are, to finishing God's work, and we consecrate our lives to the Lord, the devil will wake up from his slumber. The devil says, I'll catch up on my sleep while they're sleeping. Ellen White describes what's going to happen when this loud cry is given. Great Controversy says, says, notwithstanding the widespread declension of faith and piety, there are true followers of Christ in these churches. She's talking about the churches of Babylon, the Roman Catholic Church and Protestant churches. In fact, most of God's people, she says, are in those organizations. he continues saying, before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be, and I'm longing for this day, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. This is what our president, Ted Wilson, has been talking about night and day. Revival and reformation. That's what we need. The devil doesn't have much to oppose. Maybe that's too strong. I don't think so. She continues saying, the spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. That's the fire that comes from heaven. At that time many will separate themselves from those churches in which the love of this world has supplanted love for God and his word. Many, both of ministers and people, will gladly accept those great truths. Notice it's not just the truth that everybody is preaching. Those great truths which God has caused to proclaim at this time. That's what Ellen White calls present truth. At this time, notice, to prepare a people for the Lord's second coming. Was that what Elijah did? Absolutely, for the first coming. The enemy of souls... Now, Now notice the devil knows this is coming. So it says, the enemy of souls desires to hinder this work. And before the time for such a movement shall come, he will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. I believe we're seeing that counterfeit today, even in many Adventist churches. She continues saying, In those churches which he can bring under his deceptive power, he will make it appear that God's special blessing is poured out. There will be manifest what is thought to be great religious interest. Multitudes will exalt that God is working marvelously for them, when the work is that of another spirit. Under a religious guise, Satan will seek to extend his influence over the Christian world. Isn't that amazing? You see, folks, in the Old Testament, God did not allow the false prophets to bring fire from heaven. But in Revelation, the counterfeit will be so great that the false prophet will make fire fall from heaven in sight of men and he will do that right before God's people do their work for the Lord. Let me ask you are there going to be calamities in the world just like in the days of Elijah? Will God's people be blamed because of the calamities? Now we need to go to Matthew chapter 24 which is speaking about the same period of the Middle Ages, it's speaking about the period of the Middle Ages as well as what's going to happen at the end of time it's the same time period as what we've been discussing Matthew chapter 24 verses 6 through 9 and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now listen carefully. We've always read this in evangelism to show that all the disasters that are taking place in the world are signs that Jesus is coming soon. But we don't go to verse 9 where it tells us why these things happen. Why the devil causes these things. Verse 9 says, Then, there's the connection, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. What is the purpose for the devil causing all of these, all of these disasters and all of these problems in society? Because he wants to blame God's people and he wants God's people to be hated. Ellen White amplifies this in great controversy. She connects it with Elijah. This is in great controversy. She says, she says it will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath. That's exactly what Jezebel said. It's because Baal isn't worshipped. And then she continues saying that this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. And that those who present the claims of the fourth commandment, thus destroying reverence for Sunday, are troublers of the people. Do you remember that expression? Preventing their restoration to divine favor and temporal prosperity. Thus the accusation urged of old against the servant of God will be repeated upon grounds equally well established and it came now she quotes and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him art thou he that troubled Israel? and he answered I have not troubled Israel but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of God and thou hast followed Baalim she says as the wrath of the people shall be excited by false charges they will pursue a course towards God's ambassadors very similar to that which apostate Israel pursued toward Elijah interesting great controversy page 590 will God's people have to flee to the wilderness to the desolate places of the earth notice once again Matthew 24 after speaking of all these disasters it says in Matthew 24 verse 15 therefore when you see the abomination of desolation that's the Sunday law I don't have time to get into that the Matthew 24 series has been airing on 3ABN you can get more on that therefore when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place whoever reads let him understand then let those who are in Judea do what? these are God's faithful people flee to the mountains just like Elijah had to flee Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Interesting that Jesus would remember the Sabbath in the context of the tribulation. And then... He says, for there will be a great tribulation, such as not, has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Will God's people go through that tribulation? They will go through that tribulation. But will God's people be sustained? Will their needs be supplied? Notice what we find in Great Controversy, page 629. Ellen White says, the people of God will not be free from suffering, but while persecuted and distressed while they endure privation and suffer for want of food they will not be left to perish that God who cared for Elijah will not pass by one of his self-sacrificing children he who numbers the hairs of their head will care for them and in time of famine they shall be satisfied while the wicked are dying from hunger and pestilence angels will shield the righteous and supply their wants. Don't be afraid of the tribulation. (laughs) Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now our time is up. I had a lot more material than what I could present this morning, but it's interesting to notice the end of this threefold alliance. The Bible tells us that the heart will have a terrible end. The Bible also tells us that the false prophet will have a terrible end. As will the kings of the earth. And when all is said and done, the blood of God's people will be avenged. It says in Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 and 2, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. This is after thing is, everything is all over saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God for true and righteous are His judgments because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. And as this time of trial and tribulation is coming to an end then the cloud will appear. Remember that Elijah saw a cloud in the distance? about half the size of man's hand great controversy 640 and 641 soon there appears in the east a small black cloud about half the size of man's hand it is the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness the people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man in solemn silence they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth becoming lighter and more glorious Until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory-like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant, Jesus rides forth as mighty conqueror. And by the way, do you know that this is a chariot that's coming to take God's people home? Let me just read you one closing statement. It's found in Great Controversy, page 645. It says, speaking about the chariot that's coming to take people home, on each side of the cloudy chariot are wings and beneath it are living wheels, the wheels are the angels by the way and as the chariot rolls upwards the wheels cry holy and the wings as they move cry holy and the retinue of angels cry holy 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 Lord God almighty and the redeemed shout hallelujah as the chariot moves onward toward the New Jerusalem. That's what we are looking forward to. Wouldn't it be nice to not have any more camp meetings at 3ABN? <laughs> and by the way, we need to support 3ABN. This, this is God's channel. And they didn't ask me to promote the channel. But it's one of the, one of the most important outlets of the Adventist message that we have. So folks, Jesus is coming soon. Will we wake up from our slumber, consecrate our lives to the Lord, and be that Elijah that God wants us to be? I pray to God that that will happen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse